Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, Episode 7, Mud's Women. Welcome aboard, friends. It's time for another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. From the loftiest admiral to the lowliest cadet, sometimes we all need help making our way through the 23rd century. Here to help with that help, I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek in order and then take it apart and see what's making those engines hum. Then we'll dig a little deeper. We want to know if there's something for us to learn and if those messages still hold up today. On today's show, we say hello to Leo Walsh, Harcourt Fenton Mudd, and the lovely Mudd's women. Well, the lovely women of Mudd. I can't really make it sound right, dude. No, you can't. <laughs> no, no matter what. It's just an unfortunate title with lovely women. Um, Ken, would you like a little trivia about this episode? Would I? I knew you'd say that. Uh Mud's Women was written by Stephen Candell, or Candell, if I'm being European, uh, and Gene Roddenberry. Now, it was written very early on in Star Trek. In fact, this had a possibility of being the second pilot. So instead of where no man has gone before and the awesome Gary Mitchell, Dr. Daner story of becoming gods, we would have had Mud's Women to sell Star Trek. I don't know if things would have turned out as well as they did. Well... It's, I guess we'll get into it a little bit later, but I, this feels to me like a couple of other TV shows that were on at the time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Which is weird because you don't often hear people say, oh, yeah, there were two shows just like Star Trek. But this episode, but we'll, we'll get into that a bit later. Indeed. Uh, the Enterprise, by the way, in this episode is powered by lithium crystals, not dilithium. So I guess that makes the engines bipolar. But I'm bummed. <laughs> oh, look at you. They made that slip up just once before, I think. And then from that point forward, they decided that dilithium sounded better. So we're going to go with that. And uh, one other little uh, uh, change, one other little uh, uh, bit of Star Trek verbiage that changed. Spock in this is referred to as Vulcanian by Harry Mudd, not as Vulcan. And in fact, Harry Mudd calls him right out. He says this one is part Vulcanian. So I guess there's something about Spock that you can just tell right away. Oh, yeah, he's a half-breed. Okay, here's the problem, though. I mean, is that an actual – so were they actually called Vulcanians and then it changed to Vulcans? Or is it just that uh, Mud is a Bulgarian? Well, see, that could be part of it. It yeah. could just be that Mud doesn't know what he's talking about. Or maybe he's just using the uh, the familiar or the uh, the proper version. Who knows? Well, I thought he it has was very flowery language. You see, and that's what I thought it was. I thought it was Mud uh, playing a character, but but of course we'll get into the character that he plays in just a bit. In fact, um, why don't we head that way now? Why is the tiny ship fleeing from the Enterprise? And is that the ship's crew or its cargo? Stay tuned. All will be clear as Mud. Mm-hmm. 
the Enterprise spots an unmarked ship out on a joyride and tries to catch up since the captain won't reply to any attempts at communication. The mystery ship heads into an asteroid field and its engines start to fail. The Enterprise, still in pursuit, stays away from the asteroids and uses its deflector shield to protect the smaller vessel. Act 1. Captain Kirk has sent a crew to the transporter room to beam aboard any crew members of the doomed smaller ship. Its engines are failing to the point of imminent destruction, and the Enterprise isn't doing so well either. The lithium crystals are burning out from all the stress of using the deflector shields, making it difficult to pull off a smooth rescue. Scotty manages to beam aboard the ship's captain, Leo Walsh, and boy is he a scallywag, a rambunctious scamp, if you will. He's practically right out of Pirates of the Caribbean, and I mean the ride, not the movies. As Walsh's ship explodes from the asteroid impact, Scotty manages to beam up the rest of the crew, three gorgeous women all dressed up like they're headed to happy hour at the Stardust. Walsh explains that they're technically his cargo. The men in the transporter room are dumbstruck, except for Spock, and Kirk starts huffing and puffing that he wants the rogue captain to go to his quarters immediately. Cue that jazzy music while the ladies slink through the Enterprise corridors. Act 2. Like all the other men, Kirk is a little awestruck by Walsh's cargo of women, but he's not so gobsmacked that he can't still lay the smack down on Walsh for ruining the Enterprise engines. There will be a hearing. Things are getting a little more dire in the engine room. All but one crystal is gone, and the backup batteries will only last so long. Kirk decides to head to the lithium mining station on Rigel 12, but while we're killing time on board to Rigel, let's have that hearing, shall we? You can't get much past the ship's computer, and Leo Walsh is revealed to be the career criminal Harry Mudd. Harry's plan was to take his female cargo, all of whom have declined a Dr. McCoy medical exam, to the settlers on another planet where women are in short supply. It's worth pointing out that the women say they have all volunteered. They want husbands, and Mudd is merely brokering the deal. Kirk decides that Mudd will have to answer to the authorities, but, oh, guess what? That final lithium crystal just gave out. We better get to Rigel 12 soon. Mudd is thrilled at this turn of events, and he assumes his escape will mean delivering his ladies to the miners and then dashing off with the profits. Act 3. Dr. McCoy, even with his libido bubbling to the surface, stops ogling the women long enough to notice that one of them, Ruth, has a strange effect on his medical scanner. He even asks Kirk a little bit later if they really are all that remarkable or if they just act like it. It could be some sort of alien influence they're just not aware of yet. Eve, one of the other women, stops by Kirk's quarters and starts laying on the seductive charm. Meanwhile, in Mud's room, he's plotting with Ruth and Magda how profitable their encounter will be with the miners when Eve comes rushing back in. She has stolen a communicator, and Mud gets in touch with the miners on Rigel 12. The Enterprise is hobbling along. They arrive at Rigel with about three days' worth of power to maintain their orbit. Down in Mud's room, the ladies aren't looking too well. Their beauty has worn off. They seem to be aging rapidly, and Harry is desperately trying to find something. He says he's hidden it in case he was searched, but now he can't remember where. When he finds his container of pills, the ladies gobble them up and miraculously regain their beautiful glow. The miners beam up to the Enterprise and start playing hardball with Kirk. They want the women, and Kirk wants the lithium. 
The Enterprise batteries start fading, and good old Harry Mudd is the only one with a negotiating power that comes along with his stable of ladies. Act 4. Kirk and Spock, along with Harry, beam down to the Quonset hut where the miners are living it up with the ladies. They've got everything. Gray rock walls, dancing with no music, dust and sandstorms. They are really living. Kirk is ready to get his lithium and get out of town. Eve isn't feeling too well, though, and she may not be adjusting to the thought of living with Ben, the head of the miners, on this barren planet. She heads off into the night, and Kirk chases after her. He can't find her, so he beams back up to the Enterprise to reconvene the search and use the more powerful equipment on the ship. Ben, however, has found Eve, and, wow, it's about three seconds to complacent, bored, domestic bliss. While the crew of the Enterprise are freaking out over losing their power, Eve is whipping up a little dinner. Ben is all huff and puff, while Eve is all eye-rolling and totally over it. In another three seconds, she's starting to lose her looks because that magic drug is wearing off, and Ben is not happy about it one bit. Kirk and Harry Mudd show up just as things are getting heated, and Kirk forces the big reveal. The illegal Venus drug has been responsible for making the women even more alluring than they would be. Harry has perpetrated a fraud, and Ben learns that his co-workers are now married to the other women. Eve, at long last, stands up a little bit for herself. She tells Ben that what he wants is a lie, but then she takes the drug, and she changes back into her beautiful self. She gives Ben a little lesson on illusion versus reality, that a wife whose beauty is only skin deep is a fake, too. Then in comes Kirk with the double swindle. That was no Venus drug, it was a placebo. And he wraps it all up with a little morality lesson that you either believe in yourself or you don't. And by the way, I am totally taking those crystals now. The real and still gorgeous Eve stays behind, realizing that Kirk's responsibility is to the ship. Harry Mudd goes off with Kirk to face the court. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy wrap it all up with a couple of snarky comments about Vulcan physiology and just being glad that the whole affair is over. So, you know what, Ken? I, I, I had kind of missed the, uh, the angry Kirk that we got to know in Enemy Within. And uh, I think he has a few moments uh, coming back in this episode. He does a bit. Although it's so funny that you talk about the old married couple that is um, uh, Ben and Eve. Let's yeah. talk about the old married couple that is uh, Kirk and Scotty. <laughs> you know, I didn't think about their relationship too heavily, but you know, you're, it's not you're there for right. it's not there for long. But you know, mm-hmm. everybody's saying, "Oh man, we don't have any lithium crystals." And we're going to die up here in space. And at one point, it really gets to Kirk, and he just totally lashes out at Scotty. Just yeah. I mean, completely what? Okay, I screw it up. Are you happy now? And right. he goes back to commanding the ship for about 30 seconds, and he comes back over to Scotty, who's standing there obviously smarting a little bit, yeah. and says, I'm sorry. And Scotty yeah. gives him this sort of like, you know, like, like, like TV mom look of understanding. Right. It's okay. We're still friends. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What yeah. I married you, you big lug. I'll be here forever. Right. There, there, there are two things. Um, I'm, I'm having this one problem as we're going through and watching every episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Rigel actually at the center of the galaxy? Oh, because everything is Rigel. And here's the problem that I'm having. I'm, I've mm-hmm. always got a, a, a bastardized version of an XTC song in my head. Which is? Well, they're always making plans for Rigel. 
you see. Oh. I'm not, I'm not oh. making a joke. I mean, seriously, no. every time okay. we talk about Rigel, I've got the XTC song. I'm wow. Making plans for Nigel in my head <laughs> for like a day. Right. And, and that's like being left on whatever planet it was that Childress was on. The that's other- a miserable place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My head with XTC playing over and over again or... Yeah. Well, at least you have music playing in your head, because apparently when the women beamed down to meet the miners, they were all dancing and there was just no music. So yeah. they, they, were, they were probably hearing that XTC song in their heads, too. Maybe so. Maybe different XTC songs, which could explain the odd dancing. Okay. Could the be. other thing that this brought to mind, and it surprised me, this episode in particular, uh, was Dances with Wolves. I don't know how well you remember that movie. I don't know why I remember this part of that movie, but I remember when um, when the Kevin Costner character uh, decides that I mean, he puts in you know to be on the furthest outpost. He wants to be on the frontier, and his commanding officer says, "Why do you want to? Why do you want to go to the frontier?" And, and Kevin Costner says, "I want to see it before it's gone." Right. He would be too late in this episode of Star Trek to see the frontier because the crimes with which uh, a mud is actually charged are very bureaucratic operating a ship without a without a master's license that's a crime mm-hmm. apparently um and, and and flying without a flight plan yeah this is the galaxy <laughs> yeah you can pretty much go anywhere <laughs> and, and but um, apparently there is a central office maybe it's on rigel where you have right. to uh, where you have to uh, or one of the rigel planets because you know there are yes. at least 12 of them um yeah. where you have to file a flight plan and if you don't do that uh, that is a charge punishable by something. I, I think we have to assume, like, if I were to sort of make up a reason for that in my head, that we have to assume that um, that Harry Mudd's ship had some sort of registry, had some some sort of something that would make them aware that he would have had to have placed a flight plan, you All know? Right. So I, I'm just going to give them that part of it, maybe. But then Harry Mudd's ship was also destroyed and there was no trace of it left. So we really have nothing to go on. Or maybe just when they brought up uh, Harry's record in the uh, the little court that they had set up on ship there, uh, they realized that, okay, this is somebody who would have had to have placed a flight plan. Yeah. So yeah. You know, maybe they're getting around it with that. Yeah. So what struck you about the episode? Uh, smug Spock. you know how much fun is spock having at introducing harry mudd to kirk he's he's like leaning against the door he's got like that kind of wry grin on his face it's like yeah i'm about to uh, i'm about to make your life very difficult for the next several minutes and he is enjoying that yeah he's definitely very interested to see what kirk's reaction is going to be yeah not affected at all by the beautiful women but totally affected by the idea that he's getting under his friend's skin well, you know? either that he's getting under his friend's skin or just, I mean, maybe he's still studying him like he did last week in The Enemy Within. Like, oh, oh sure. what's this going to do to him? Right. <laughs> right. We brought three apparently gorgeous women. I wouldn't know because I'm Vulcan, but three apparently yeah. gorgeous women. And, uh, let's and watch one crazy person. Yeah. <laughs> let's watch what happens. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, the thing that struck me about it, and we'll get into our, our serious discussion here in a minute, but the, the thing that struck me about this episode is that it is all over the map. They're playing it for high comedy with uh, Harry Mudd, mm-hmm. and, and then they try to switch gears, and you have this little, like, domestic drama toward the end, um, and then you have a little bit of sci in sci-fi going on, mm-hmm. um, 
and and, it, and then they they tack on that morality message, which, like I said, we'll get into. I don't want to spoil it here uh, uh, too soon, but um, but this is a very difficult episode because you can enjoy it on some levels, but then be totally confounded by it on others. Should I do the bonanza thing? Yeah, do it. All right. So <laughs> the 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 thing where uh, Eve wanders out into the dust storm and Childress goes after her. And then they end up back at his place. He mm-hmm. brings her back there. She's she's unconscious. I mean, the dust storm has taken its toll on her. He brings her back there. Uh, she's unconscious. Right. It's <laughs> it's like that last ten minutes is like an episode of Bonanza. Yep. If you if you took out the science fiction trappings, and you took out the the Venus drug, replace mm-hmm. the Venus drug with she's from out of town. Let's say yep. let's say. Let's say she was being passed off as Hungarian. She was exotic. And then it turned out she's not exotic. She's actually from back east, but she was right. playing herself that way. Um, this is an episode of Bonanza at the very end. And it was weird because it wasn't even just like, it wasn't just like, wow, this could be. It was like, what am I watching now? And it still, it still works in the episode, I think. But, sure. it, but I mean, it was, this was a, I mean, you could have, you could have put that in, uh, in the Big Valley, you could have put that in Bonanza. I mean, it was because they're still obviously in a frontier place. They're still obviously on the edge of, of whatever because you got three guys there doing really hard work. And then here are these women from out of town. I mean, it's, it's very much a frontier kind of thing. Yeah. But, I mean, to the point that, yeah, it could have been um, the Rifleman. I'm just, yeah. I'm just naming old Westerns <laughs> now. I mean, I don't, I don't really know that many. Well, well but, but it's funny, though, because, like, you know, she wakes up from being unconscious. And what does she do? She starts cooking. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, um, and, and the, the language, the, the, the sort of cadence and, and the, the choice of words is given to the miners is very strange. So I understand as a writer, you want to give them a different voice. But it does sound like this sort of Old West Almost, you know, uh, Ben Childress has that line, like, I've tasted better and by my own hand. Yes. <laughs> you know, and it just, you, you kind of go, wait, we are watching an Old West thing here. This is, this well, is sort of strange. What's interesting about that, though, when you say that this actually um, was considered for the pilot, that, mm-hmm. actually makes, that actually makes that part make a little bit more sense. I mean, there was always the risk, right, that sci-fi was going to be too sci-fi for, for the television audience mm-hmm. uh, when they went with... Um, Oh, when they went with the man trap, they were looking right. for sort of the monster story. They decided, yeah, we're going to go with the science fiction part of it. But looking at this as a possibility for a pilot, um, that 10 minutes that could have been Bonanza, that could have been The Rifleman, that could have been um, Big Valley. Sure. That could have been another Western. That's going to be very accessible to a television audience. I mean, I didn't watch any of those shows regularly. I think I watched Bonanza a little bit when I was a kid or Gunsmoke because my dad always watched Gunsmoke. He'd watch reruns of Gunsmoke. So it could have been Gunsmoke as well. That's going to make it very accessible to a television audience. And so maybe that's part of the reason that it was that it was there. I mean, because the frontier is the frontier is the frontier, I suppose, whether, you know, whether your enemy is, you know, the hard scrabble, you know, I don't know, plains of Kansas or or, or, or <laughs> the northern part of California back when the northern part of California was, you know, something anybody could just go and put a stake in. Right. Um, or, you know, whether it's Rigel 12, where they have a, well, a thriving uh, three-man crystal mining operation. Well, here's the thing. You know, I, I agree with you up to a point. 
But remember that that whole uh, Big Valley gun smoke, uh, that little Western Frontier bit that we got, we got mm-hmm. in the last 10 minutes of the show. Before that, you got 40 minutes of Pirates. <laughs> you, got, you got 40 minutes of Harry Mudd and the, and the bucket boots and the hat and the, the blousy shirt and the uh, Irish brogue and uh, just uh, okay. going nuts. But as, <laughs> as a writer exercise, though, do you not have to find a way to maybe bring it back to your audience? I mean, boy, yeah, you have to. <laughs> maybe. I mean, maybe that's maybe. Yeah. I don't know if that's the reason or, or maybe it's just because there really is a range of stuff shown here. There's 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 it, it goes from it's like GURPS. Do you remember GURPS? The generic, I have no idea. The generic no. universal role playing system. The idea in GURPS oh, was okay. it could be okay. superheroes. It could be monsters. It could be Old West. It could be just about anything. That's kind of this episode. You've got you've got you've got the you've got the um, the science fiction drug use. With like mm-hmm. the Venus drug that can turn you from this thing to that thing, you've got the the space chase, you've got, um, and then you've got you know sort of the more domestic. Oh, here's something I understand because I was just watching it last night with Hoss and uh, Little Joe. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it does sort of bring it back. But it, it, here's the thing: I, I think this is all uh, obviously set up the the frontier look and the pirate and the women and all of this stuff. I think what it does is it helps to normalize the crew on the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. You know, they all look like you know. Like we've always said this is just people at work. Yeah, who just happen to be in a spaceship in the 23rd century. But those are the ones we can relate to. Yeah. You know, um, and, and then that little scene of uh, domestic non bliss at the end, it, it's sort of like, oh, well, you know, he, here's where it starts to go off the rails a little bit. Um, it, you can probably relate to this. Maybe we hope not <laughs> but, because it, it gets a little out of hand there. Um, but but it, it's still a way to, to make that comparison to everybody in the Enterprise because those are the real heroes, obviously. Chicanery, bureaucracy, misogyny, just another day on the 23rd century frontier. You know, one of the things that I said, Ken, was that to me this episode is problematic because it is so all over the map and you kind of don't know from one minute to the other are they playing it for comedy are they trying to be serious and if they are trying to be serious what are the messages that we can get out of this but you know what that's what we do you and i try to figure out what the messages are and what we can take away from it um so one of the things that i wanted to point out you know you mentioned that uh, Harry Mudd is being brought up for charges of not having a flight plan and all these sort of bureaucratic issues. But at the heart of it, he is making a business here out of these women's lives. <laughs> he, he is trading these women's lives. Now, they say they're volunteers. Okay. Am I right? No, you're they, absolutely they... right. It's, it's, it's really fascinating to me. It's like, um, yeah, yeah, no flight plan. Uh, yeah. pre- pretending to be somebody else, that's a no-no, which, you know, in right. fairness, that is a no-no. But uh, no flight plan, that's a no-no. And uh, yeah. and uh, and operating without a master's license, that's a no-no. Uh, are we going to throw in the possible uh, sex trade charges? Nah. Yeah? Well, nah, it's no. fine. Yeah, remember, Pike thought about going out to be a slave trader. He did. It's, he did. It is, I mean, again, it's enough. it's enough frontier, like we talked about earlier. It's enough frontier that 
there are some things apparently, and, and maybe this speaks to the male-dominated society that still is the Federation in the 23rd century. Um, mm-hmm. There are some things uh, uh, that men are willing to look the other way on. Well, you know, I, I try to – I want to find sort of a, a, a positive possibility of why, why this is in there. Okay. And, and the only thing that – and I'm really grasping here, but the only thing that I can think of is that sort of in the spirit of cultural non-interference, okay, these – go with me here. Go with me. I'm right? with you. Go so on. These, these women say that they're volunteers. So, okay, we, we have to take their word for it. And, and there is uh, a bit of an exchange there where I believe as Eve says to Kirk, you know, we don't have husbands. That's what we want. You know, there are none where we come from. And Harry, as bad as he is, is going to make that happen. So this is what we want. And the miners are saying that's what they want. So – See, if it, it, well, I'm just saying that. So, if there is any legal thing to go after, then maybe that's all they can do about it. Maybe that's all they can do is just go after the bureaucratic nonsense of the flight plan and all that stuff. But if you're letting people live their lives the way they want to live them, as awful as this is, then they're going to be okay with it. Bringing it back to the 20th or 21st century, I didn't see you hit your wife, but you got a broken tail light here. Yeah. So I'm going to have that, to take you in for a bit. That, that might be what it is. And then maybe you find right. other things. All right. <laughs> maybe, you know, that's, that's all I got. See, I'm actually, <laughs> I'm actually okay with that. I mean, honestly, it, I mean, it feels like, I mean, it feels like the difference between writing in the 1960s and writing in 2010 or 2000. Mm-hmm. What year is it? <laughs> <laughs> writing, in the 19, writing in the 1960s and writing, you know, past the year 2000, because I don't right. think generally speaking, we would look at that and say, well, there's true negligence going on here. That they're not addressing that, but you're right. Maybe it's just yeah. it may just be a difference of the times. I'm, I'm going. I'm going to pretend like there's a page of the script that explains that. Yeah, that, uh, that, that it's missing somehow. Right. But uh, Kirk and Spock and McCoy had a had a moral discussion about this and how it's wrong what they're doing. But we can't step in because of all these other reasons. So I'll pretend like that's there, and at then the, I'll be able to sleep at night. At the same time, she is trading up. I mean, Eve does say yeah, that the life that she's leaving uh, yeah. was worse. Now, we know that she is actually fooling everybody by taking the Venus drug. So we don't know for sure that the story that she's telling is true. But I think about <sighs> in my in my other life, what I do is I, I cover Apple News and news related to Apple News quite a bit. And there's this thing that goes on with a company called Foxconn. And Foxconn mm-hmm. uh, apparently treats its workers very poorly. Mm-hmm. And thousands of people line up to work at Foxconn because what they're going from to work at Foxconn turns out is worse. Right. And so you can say, well, this is terrible what these people are doing. And you can, you know, make it 23rd century. You can say it's terrible or potentially terrible since we don't actually know for certain. It's potentially terrible what Harry Mudd is doing. But the gray area then becomes, all right, so let's send them back to, you know, the place that they hate where they have no hope of anything. Yeah. And that's yeah. I mean, that unfortunately, there's no there's no actual solution provided here because we're kind of making up the problem because, you know, <laughs> Kirk and Spock didn't see a problem or at least didn't acknowledge one. Right. As far as right. this goes. But it was sort of an interesting it goes back to the thing that we talked about in um, in the cage in the very first episode. Slave trading. Why not? Yep. Totally I mean, fine. It's, uh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah but but yeah. seriously, have your paperwork in order. Yes. Right. Yeah. But And I, I will point this back to something that I mentioned a, a little bit earlier, and, and that's that 
as bad as Harry Mudd is and as bad as the miners are in their interaction with these women, you know, like I said, what we're getting here is a very, very clear distinction of what male behavior is okay and what is not, you know? Mm-hmm. So everybody, as gaga as all the guys are on the Enterprise at seeing these women, they still manage to keep it in check. Right. You know, they, they, they sort of, they stare, and then they kind of get embarrassed by it, and then they go back to their duties. But, but the miners are awful, and, and they sort of sling them around, and I'm cutting in, and she's mine, and you're going to cook for me, and, you know, all this nonsense. But as the audience, we sit here and we go, okay, that's not how you treat women. You, you know, be more like the people on the Enterprise. <laughs> you know, they're, they're trying to be logical and respectful and get to the bottom of this. Um, and, and it's sort of like Ben's one saving grace that when Kirk and Harry Mudd run in on him and Eve, what, what's the first thing that he says? I never laid a hand on her. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? I, was mentally, I was mentally abusive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't touch her. Yeah, you didn't see a thing. So, <laughs> so we still know that this is not a really uh, admirable fellow. But, uh, but, but Kirk and the rest of the crew, they are. So remember well, that, kids. Be more like them. Uh, no? You well, disagree? He's, he's, he's a jerk, but he's not, he's not not admirable. Where he's not admirable is there's a whole uh, ship that's going to come <laughs> crashing down onto his planet unless it gets what he has right that's right. that's Which the least admirable thing i mean yeah i don't like the way honestly i've had friends in the past that i didn't like you know their interaction as far as a couple like i don't like the way they treat each other it's not how i would do it but they're there and they seem mm-hmm. to like each other and i knew they actually loved each other and they weren't abusive it's just they interacted in 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 different ways gruffer ways mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. i would have chosen i mean this this i think goes back to the whole frontier thing Seriously, this has to be an episode of Gunsmoke at one point. Gunsmoke was on for like 28 <laughs> years. Right. I'm pretty sure they must have done this plot at least twice. And it's, I mean, and it's, it's a difference between I – mean, not that I'm looking to give Childress all kinds of – cut him all kinds of slack, although he is the one that goes running out. He and Kirk are yeah. the two during the middle of that horrible dust storm when Childress has said, dust blows like this here all the time, you get lost going 12 feet from your – cabin or whatever it was 12 feet from your from your barracks the place where you live go outside walk 12 feet suddenly you won't know where you are anymore and yet when eve goes out eve who he has already spurned when eve runs out he runs out he doesn't think and go okay well now which one of us is going to go and do i have everything that i need no the second she's gone he's gone so I, i i think i might take issue with you a little bit i mean maybe that's a bit of our sort of 50 years later or 150 years later, if you want to talk about settling the, uh, the frontier here in the States. Well, it's also the first woman he's seen in decades. So well, I no, think I'd be years. running after. Oh, okay. It's been, well, it's right. been three years. They've been there for three years now, but yeah, they've been there I bet for it three felt years. Like decades. Well, but then again, he had already chosen the brunette, whatever her name was. So, I mean, he could have right. sent the guy that he cut in on. <laughs> yeah. But by the way, the, the, brunette, yeah. the, the brunette was uh, Magda, Magda, and uh, did you notice the, the biblical thing going on? You have Eve, Ruth, and Magda. I, you know, I noticed the Eve one. I, I, mm-hmm. I failed to even pick up the other two names, but it was interesting when you pointed it out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it means much beyond just, well, the, these are kind of interesting historic names. Mm-hmm. Um, or if we are trying to say, like, here, here's another, you know, woman as temptress story. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I, I don't know if they're going that far with it uh, because I, I don't think that's really what the, the core of the story is here because the women, the fact that the women are temptresses is really not the point of the whole thing, you know? Mm. I, I don't think that's the biggest issue here. The, that- the biggest issue is, is, you know, well, what Kirk brings home in that monologue. Yeah, at the end. we finally, you know, what we finally got this week. What's that? You see, Timmy, we finally I'm got so it. Happy. Yes, yeah, we finally got like an official. Absolutely. Here is the moral of the story. Forgive the page turning, <laughs> but I'm actually I'm actually looking for it because I wrote it down. And Mud's even part of it. Mud, who has been the con man the whole time. Mud, who's been yeah. the guy who's like, you know, waving this hand. So you don't see what's happening in this hand. Right. So 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 Eve takes the placebo. She does change, which I know irks you. It does. It does. Because what we're saying here, what, what we're saying is, no, it is not what matters on the outside. It's your confidence. It's who you are that's okay. really important. Okay, but what they're saying is having a good bit of self-confidence will actually make you more attractive. But really, actually, physically make you more attractive. Sure. Because that's what happens. Sure. And, and her, lighting, her lighting gets better, too. Well, that'll help, won't it? <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, think about it. Here, try something right now at your desk right now. Okay. Uh, slump over. Okay. And how do you feel? Uh, I feel like I always do. Okay. Now sit up straight. <laughs> uh huh. And does that make? Uh, do you think that maybe makes you a little bit more presentable? A little bit more? I don't know. Does it give you a little bit more? You get what I'm saying, dude. You get what they're saying too. But yeah. I want to. I want to get back to the you see to me because I'm so excited we have one. <laughs> now, and by the way, now sitting up straight. Now I'm in command. Yeah. See, yeah. there you go. And you know what? If I walked in there, I would say, I don't know what happened to that schlub that was here just a minute ago, but this guy, yeah, who I you? would follow him easily half a block. Right. Right. <laughs> and then <laughs> if he starts you know, slumping just a tiny bit, I'd you know, find somebody who's walking straighter and follow that person. You, like, wait, what happened to John? It's exactly. like Clark Kent, Superman. <laughs> it's like, right. <laughs> Please don't put on glasses. I'll have no idea who you are. I no. can't find the quote. Where is it? Uh, here it is. Yep. They find out that it was a placebo, and right. Childress is absolutely stunned. He doesn't really understand, and, and Kirk says, there's only one kind of woman, and Mud chimes in, or man too, for that matter. Mm-hmm. You either believe in yourself, or you don't. Ta-da, that's the issue, yep. Timmy. I mean, there's really, we can go through and find all these other things that are like, well, what are they saying here, or what are they saying here? This whole thing leads up to believe in yourself, kids. You don't right? have to fool anybody. You don't have to lie to anybody. Just be a good person and believe in yourself. And there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow or a pot of uh, lithium right. crystals. I'm sorry, a pot of lithium crystals at the end. Yes. Of the, at the end of the rainbow. And I, I think Childress is just glad that she's still a woman. At least he should be. He should be grateful. <laughs> <laughs> but, but and not to uh, not to take away from the message, because I, I'm with you there. The, yeah. It's a show with a message and, and Kirk delivers that beautifully. And it, it, it's really great. He, he's got the nice lighting, too. So he, maybe he took the Venus drug as well, because he's looking very confident, very commanding. Um, and he, he delivers it with heart. He you know, he it's all take, great. He didn't. You're missing the point. He just believes in himself, John. He does. He, 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 he didn't he take does. a thing. He doesn't have to take a thing. Son, he just believes. It feels like maybe we need to sit down with the guidance counselor and have another talk. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, okay. So he delivers but, but, the message. But let me I'm ask sorry. you this. Yeah. Let, let me ask you this. Not, not to turn it around and make it a negative here, but all the women stay on <laughs> Rigel. Yeah. Like Eve just learned this great lesson. Right. You know, and and boom, she's beautiful again, inside yeah. and out. Right. 
but the women stay on Rigel. Yeah, well, the other and, two, the other two are legally married. They got married by a subspace radio marriage. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, divorce may be pretty easy in the 23rd century. We don't know. Um, right. But but what I'm saying is, it does this send the message though that the women need the men. No. You don't think so? I think these women wanted men. I think these well, women, for some reason, maybe because of the way they had grown up or maybe because of the, the story that they had been sold by Harry Mudd, I think these women wanted slash needed men. I don't think this episode was saying anything about women in general need men. Personally. Well, now you, well maybe, maybe just maybe. And this is in, in the page of the script that I think is missing. Mm-hmm. But maybe just one of one of those women uh, got on a communicator and said, hey, you know what? I'm feeling so confident, so good about myself. I actually don't want to stay on Rigel where there's no music. I'd rather have a career as a transporter officer or maybe a career in uh, engineering or yeah. any one of these on the list that I can do my study at home and uh, you know, get a degree. You know, it's interesting. There may actually be a few openings on the Enterprise. Did you notice how few women there were in the crew of the Enterprise for this episode? There were not many at all. Uhura. Yeah. You had her in a gold dress, too. That's it. Yep. There are no other women because that obviously would, you know, sort of detract from the these women are the most beautiful women. Right. Uh, right. In the world. Right. Yeah. I mean, yes, you could certainly you could certainly see you're, you're faulting it at that point if you say that the message was that the women need the men. And I'm not looking to not fault it. I just didn't, I did not pick up that message. There have been, there have been, um, I guess it's actually an upcoming episode, but stuff that we've talked about in the past where there's obviously the sort of stereotypical male, female, like, oh, he'll never love me. I'll always love him. I must, you know, labor on Mm -hmm. sadly Mm -hmm. alone. You know, there have been those kinds of things in the past and I've wondered about them. I didn't feel that with this one. I mean, it felt to me like this is an established storyline of men going out to settle the frontier and eventually they're going to want or need companionship um and so they arranged to have wives come and of course wives came because they wanted to get out of where they were they wanted to go to the frontier because there was money in it or something like that i didn't feel like there was an overriding um sexist uh bent or message to this even down to the fact that the women are for the most part with the exception of the weird little party Um, at at, at the minor camp, uh, the women, for the most part, are treated respectfully. I mean, they are ogled. There is that one thing, and that is something that Eve complains about at one point. Right. But, I mean, nobody's, you know, this is not Charlie slapping Yeoman Rand on the behind. This is not, uh, you know, a dark Kirk or or, or alt Kirk uh, (laughs) trying to rape the Yeoman. I mean, this is not, I mean, they they are treated very respectfully all the way through. So I'd, I'd... Maybe it's because I want to, but I, I think I would have to disagree with you about about a message of sexism in this particular episode. Yeah, and, and it, what I'm saying here, I, I don't think it's overt, and I don't think it was intended. But you know, there's still here we are on the 21st century, and you know, there's still something a little creepy about mail order brides. Yeah, and, and you just kind of have to wonder, like, is this sort of a a weird thing that in the future will be uh, kind of a, a sexist remnant of our past, or is it not? Is it just a a totally voluntary, free, and chosen path for some people? And I, there's not a good answer for that. When holodecks get everywhere, not going to matter. Bravo. Maybe that's what maybe that's what Rigel Twelve really needs. <laughs> A rapscallion, a mining camp, 
and three subspace order brides. Do the messages of Mud's women still ring true today? So here's the part where we ask the questions to sort of wrap things up, which means we're getting close to wrapping things up, by the way. Um, what we like to find out is, is do the messages in the episode hold up and, and does the episode itself sort of uh, stand the test of time from a production value, from, a, from, a, from an acting, you know, sort of the whole thing. Let's start with that one. Um, is this an enjoyable show to you still, this episode? Does it stand the test of time? Would you feel comfortable sending somebody down in front of this and saying, you never seen Star Trek before? This one's fine. Take a look at this. <laughs> I I don't know if I would, Ken. Really? I don't. Yeah, I don't, because it, yeah, it's very enjoyable um, for maybe uh, for a Star Trek fan. But but I also like to put myself in the shoes of somebody who's totally new to this, mm-hmm. who has no idea about Star Trek, and then you've got a, a space pirate. And he's just, like I said, he's comedy all the time. And then you, you go to Bonanza, you're doing the frontier thing with the, uh, the, the domestic scene at the end. And I, I have a kind of a tough time with this. Like, it's just really over the top. But maybe they redeem it because they are playing it for laughs a lot of the time. And then they're going to slip in these more serious scenes. So I'm not going to put it at the top of my list. Um, I think it holds up okay. It's just not, for me, one of the greats. Okay. You disagree, though. Uh, I'm not 100% certain. I, I mean, it, it, I guess it would depend on which person you're sitting down to watch Star Trek. I would say this would be a decent one for people who say, I don't like science fiction. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to try to get them on board, because there are so many elements of so many different things. I mean, there's not much of a courtroom drama, but you could even argue there's a courtroom drama there. And certainly there is sort of the Western-esque uh, thing that happens on the frontier. Um, it's lacking a bit of action. I mean, we get the uh, we get the chase at the very beginning, and we get the ship blowing up in like the first five minutes of the episode. Right. Uh, and past that, your action is pretty much over. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I don't think every episode has to be, you know, phasers and lasers and, and shoot them up and explosions and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a fan of the show, yes, it definitely stands up. It's actually it's actually fun to for us, and I hope people are doing this along with us, either with you know the the, the Blu-rays or the DVDs or Netflix or Amazon or wherever it is that they're going to watch it. Um, it's fun to really study the episodes because I've always kind of looked at them as cartoon characters. And and mm-hmm. to actually go back and watch it now and like watch the acting and watch you know look for the smirk on Spock's face or or you know actually right. actually look at Kirk uh, forgive me look at Shatner as an actor yeah like, because it turns out he is a lot yeah. of people a lot of people sort of think well he became an actor later when he went on to Boston Public or he became an actor later you know very late in his career and I and yeah. I, I don't agree it turns out he was an actor the problem is the character that he was playing was so big. Yeah, that it's sort of that he kind of like his ability to act got lost in it. Am I saying he's the best actor in the world? No, but he's a much better actor, I think, than um, than a lot of us gave him credit for. Yeah, um, and I agree with you 100 percent there. I, I think the crew, because you have the contrast of such an over the top character like Harry Mudd and the women who are just so you know sexual and, and so seductive that then all the stuff for the Enterprise crew, you really get to appreciate. Yeah. And. Yeah, and I love doing that. Um, so definitely for the Star Trek fan, I would say mm-hmm. this episode is a good episode. 
And I'd say it's a coin toss on whether or not you would want this to be anybody's first episode. If they're a science fiction fan, I would say no. You don't want it to be their first episode. But just, I don't know, random random viewer? Ah, I I, I wouldn't worry that this would turn them off it. I'll put it that way. So I'd say say it, it stands a good chance of standing the test of time, especially because of the other things that it harkens to. And the message, of course, believing in yourself, come on. Well, I, I, I agree. But I mean, I, to me, the, this was a close one, <laughs> you know, really? like, like we, we just, yeah, because we were just waiting there and wait, waiting for this to happen because all over the place watching this episode, is there a message? Is there not? What are we saying about women? What's going on here? And then bam, right at the end, perfect yeah. Kirk monologue. Remember yeah. kids, believe in yourself. Right. And, and don't eat paint. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, they state it. They, they state the message so I mean, so categorically, I don't see how you could say that you weren't sure if the message stands up. Are you saying you weren't sure we we're going to get to a message? Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. The message oh, okay, totally yeah. stands up. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I like this. I mean, and we say it jokingly like it's for kids, but, but for adults, too. It's like, you know, here, here are these women, these adult women sort of finding their strength, right. you know, and, and being confident. And that's what makes them sexy. Yeah. And yeah. Well, so, that, well uh, that's what makes them. I mean, you can do the whole thing. It's sort of like we talked about with Charlie X a while back. There are more important things than being liked. And it goes mm-hmm. back to the whole, you know, sort of, you know, believe in yourself. It's not mm-hmm. about being sexy. I mean, it's not, it's not, although right. in this episode it was about getting a man, it was really just more about, you know, coming into your own. You don't need whatever prop it is that you've been using or relying on to get people to like you or to be the person that you want to be. All you need to be the person that you want to be is um, believe that you can be the person that you want to be. Yeah. So, I mean, that – I hope that stands up because you know, <laughs> that's how a lot of us try to live. And, and, and I think we think that, you know, maybe it will pay off at some point. If it turned out that Harry Mudd got to, you know, go and start another enterprise – not enterprise ship, but if he got to go start another business. Yeah. <laughs> then, yeah. And you might say, I'm not sure the believe in yourself thing is all it's cracked up to be. But um, right. if we assume that Kirk's monologue, you know, with a line from Mud, um, yep. is uh, is the message, then I think we have to say the message stands. Remember, guys, you can hit us up on Twitter with the screen name at Mission Log Pod or by email missionlog at roddenberry.com. And hey, leave us a voicemail. Tell us what you thought. On Skype, we are Mission Log Pod, or you can give us a call, 323 522 5641. And remember, your comments could be used on a future episode of Mission Log. And so that does it for this week, right? Yeah, it sure does. And uh, next week, we hope you join us because more than sugar or spice, we're going to take a look at advanced robotics in What Are Little Girls Made Of? Some of the music for the Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory. Free to download at kitheory.com. And now if you'll excuse me, I have to go file my flight plan for next week. Good morning, Mission Log. This is Anthony Burge. You may know me from my blog, Comfy Chair, comfychairdean.blogspot.com. I've been blogging about each episode of the Mission Log. And I just want to say thank you very much to Roddenberry uh, and the Nerdist Productions and the hosts, Sean Champion and Ken Ray, for bringing this all together. I've been a lifelong fan of Star Trek. 
I have lots of memories. For instance, I can't wait to get to the, the coverage of Shore Leave. I have memories of William Shatner at Queensborough Community College presenting the episode and a talk on it with my dad when I was 10 years old. And I absolutely adore it. I work in a hospital where things can get very stressful. And once a week or however often those shows get posted and I listen to it, it lasts me in a great state of geeky bliss to balance out the day uh, from stresses from work and other items. And not only that, but it gives me a larger appreciation for the show, in-depth analysis, and not just that, but coming from Roddenberry Productions and the manuscripts and papers of Gene Roddenberry and his vision, which I absolutely do my best to integrate those morals and themes and ethics into my own life. And I just once again, thank you, take care, and be well. End transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 